Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. And for this one, this is going to be our second occasion bringing Cosmic Queries to the Science is Cool conference hosted by Pocket Lab. Chuck, always good to have you as my co-host. Hey, what's happening, Neil? And uh, these are questions coming from science school teachers from K through 12. These are the people who have the future of civilization in their hands, which is the next generation of people who will rise up and become captains of industry and uh, political leaders and whoever else uh, will help to shape what civilization is and will become. They're in their classrooms right now. So let's get on with some of this Q&A. Chuck, what do you have? This is all from the teachers, and um, we got some great questions here. Let's just start off with uh, Abby Gandhi. She's coming to us from Ottawa. I hope she's in the uh, room with us now. How can we encourage curiosity in all students given our and their limited resources and time in this coming year? So uh, this seems to be a theme that's running throughout all the questions, the fact that we're learning remotely and that, you know, over digital platforms and that type of stuff. But, you know, that notwithstanding, how do you encourage um, curiosity? Yeah, so I, I don't have a silver bullet there. But what I do know, and I've said this before, that kids, obviously we have kindergarten through upper high school represented among the teachers. And ch- children, students are different at each of these stages. I get that. I can tell you, and you certainly know, those who teach kindergarten and first through fifth grades, that curiosity is just a built-in feature of what it is to be a kid. And so I think for me, the task of teachers is not so much how to stimulate curiosity, but how to not squash the curiosity that's already there. And that's a different task, right? Because if you know it's already there, then you can nurture it. You can bring in elements, tools, methods that continue to stimulate it so that the child never knows a day without being curious about one thing or another. And one thing I know that squashes curiosity, and I get it, it's got to be a part of the curriculum, I get it, that you got to sort of hand kids information that you then test them on later. I get that. But there's got to be some room, either built in or you pry it open, to put things out in front of the students for which there is no obvious answer. And they say, well, I wonder how you get the answer to that. Wow. Well, what do I, how do I dig? And, you know, it's, it's easy to give the example when you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a yard and there's grass and there might be some flowers or leaves or a tree and you're poking around nature. But curiosity can manifest in practically any discipline. And, and artists know that you just give a, 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 you know, a, a canvas and, and paint and, and give it to kids. They'll just start painting, that's true. right? That's, true. That's, a, that's an act of exploration that, yeah. that you are not guiding. All you're doing is providing the tools and let that creativity unfold. Because mm. for me, curiosity and creativity go together. They're basically the same word when you're a student coming up through the system. So uh, I think if you devote some fraction of a curriculum to just exploring rather than being there as I'm the one with the answers and you take notes because you'll be tested on it later. Um, Try to find ways to put out even questions that you know the answer to, but they Mm -hmm. require a little bit of exploration. You know, um, what did happen, if it's a history class, what did happen when Napoleon um, tried to conquer Russia? Well, hmm, 
I looked at the weather. Let's look at the weather for Moscow in December. Right. Oh, it's 20 below. It's this. It's snow. Hmm. I wonder what Napoleon thought about that. Let's, let's investigate this. You can hand them the answers or you can collectively find the answers together. And for me, that's the difference between learning by being taught and learning by doing and fulfilling your own curiosity. And that would be a way to sustain it. For the youngest of kids, they already have it. Already have it. I love that. So kind of reverse engineering um, the learning process. You start with the answer and work your way backwards. Um, well, so you, well, th that's another way to do that, right? Okay. But, some, but sometimes you don't know what the answer could or should be. Okay. And even if the answer is known, if you're learning, you can treat it like it's a brand new kind of exploration. Right. What would you do if you were Napoleon? No, I would have checked out the weather for forecast. I would have checked the weather, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Check the weather, okay? <laughs> right um, for the French Revolution, you know, are people eating or are they not? Right, hmm. exactly. Are you paying attention? And, and, Did they and, pay attention? and was there enough cake? Was there enough cake? <laughs> <laughs> How good were the bakers? <laughs> so... Uh, if you treat something that may even be known as an unknown, right. that is, that's a point of curiosity for everybody. And then you, then everyone stimulates their thoughts and their ideas, and then you go to what actually happened. Then you can criticize or compliment what actually happened. Cool. So that's an example, not even drawn from the sciences, but, but you know, keeping this multidisciplinary as an educational task and as so many teachers need to think about. So, cool. Yeah. All right, man. Great answer. Great answer. So what else you got? Um, Bring it on. I, I got Alan here. Um, Is there a last name? Or where are they from? Or where they... Yes, yes. Give me Thanks, a... Neil. Thanks. <laughs> this is Alan Wasmoen from Omaha. Okay, Wasmoen. stop pronouncing last names. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> 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 I know. Alan was so, it was so simple, Neil, with Alan. <laughs> Alan we'll take a collection. Right. Help Chuck read. Exactly. Right. Alan knows who he is. <laughs> Alan does not need me to tell Okay, so he's Alan stuff. from Wisconsin? A Alan from Omaha. And, oh, Nebraska. Uh, okay. Nebraska. Uh, Wasmoen, I think it is. But anyway, Alan says this. Uh, we hear a lot about anti-science folks in the United States. How do we restore science to its proper status among the general populace. So is, is there anything that you can do to uh, create a greater respect for science, especially in light of our leaders? And I'm not being political, but our, our leaders, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but, but they, they tend to poo-poo science. I mean, you have a number of governors who are defying their public health um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, officials. You have people saying, don't wear a mask. You have people say, and so ha this, this has got to have a deleterious effect on the way people view science. So I, I, again, I don't have a silver bullet here. I think, here's the answer I don't want to give, okay. but I'm going to start with it. All right. I wish I didn't have to give this answer because I don't like this answer, mm -hmm. but it could actually work, is if every science research program came with a fraction of its budget for advertising. And you just advertise what science is doing for you in your everyday life. In, because science is there in ways that we all take for granted. Yep. Oh my gosh. How many people are, did not die in childbirth who are alive today simply because advances in medical science. Thanks, and, science. And, or, 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 thank you. So you would, you would just, every day, you'd see a public service announcement. Here's what science does for you. Right. And this, here's what led to that discovery. Right. Oh, you, you, used, you, you had an MRI measurement right. today? Where did that come from? It came from this physicist right. who got a Nobel Prize for that discovery. Did he care about how your health? No. no. He cared about molecules in space and won the Nobel Prize. That piece of information got picked up by a medical technologist and became a machine that diagnoses your health. A reminder of this. And uh, yes, it's advertising. I hate advertising because it's always designed to make you do what you don't want to do. But if it's a public service announcement every day, maybe that would have some influence. 
just maybe. I'm tired of hearing people, I don't like the space program. Oh, let me find out what the weather is for next week on my satellite TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and people have lost track of what role science, uh, innovative science, engineering, and technology play in not only their, their, their health, their wealth, their security, but just in how, whether or not they can enjoy life. And so, um, so there needs to be a, a better marketing plan. And that's the answer I don't want to give. Let me give a, another answer that's directly related to our audience today. Okay. 10,000 science teachers around the world. I think, and I'm just, just putting this out there, I think if some portion of your curriculum were devoted to teaching science not as information, but as a way of querying nature, okay? We hinted on this in developing and curating curiosity. But think about it. If you learn what science is and how and why it works, then you're not going to grow up and say, oh, I distrust science or what those scientists are telling me because you will understand what it is, where it's coming from, that there's an experiment, there are observations that have been confirmed that led to research results that are arriving at these conclusions. You'll understand the entire anatomy of that understanding, uh, of, of that, uh, the anatomy of those statements that are getting made. And I'll give you a, a real good example of this. At the beginning of the coronavirus, where it's rising in the United States, early March, um, it was like, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. There was, there was, there was, seemed like there was conflicting information. You know why there's conflicting information? Because at any given moment, you plug in all the information you have. And the information you have at any given moment for a new and novel virus, you, you're, you're, you're gathering it. You want to know it immediately. You don't want to wait the six months for all of these tests. So we're giving you this as it comes across and kind of in real time. And then we find out, no, this is not working do this, okay? What I'm saying is, yes, that was changing because new information was informing it. It wasn't changing because they said, well, let's try something else. I don't know. No, new data was informing it. And that's how science works, okay? I'm sorry, I'm screaming at you. I'm sorry. No, man, I like it. I love, I love the passion. I like the that, pass. That's how science works. And You're like the you, Samuel L. Jackson of science right now. <laughs> just angry with everything. Just, just talking about it. So that's how Say science, science again. <laughs> to my face. <laughs> so, so if that's how science works, then you'll understand that arc through something that is brand new that we're experimenting on in the laboratory. Right. And you'll also know that the people who don't have that kind of access or like your neighbor or your, your mayor or your governor, unless they themselves are listening to the medical experts who are plugged in to that flow of research. And so, so uh, when they say, oh, scientists used to think this and now they think this, therefore I'm not going to believe any of it. No, that, you know, that's not how this works. Right. It's not how we got to the civilization that we have today. So it means teaching science in a slightly different way to understand that it's a way of arriving at what is objectively true in the world. That's great. And th then you get them early on, and then when they become mayors, some of the students of these teachers are going to become mayors, uh, very powerful people, heads of captains of industry and the like. They will then have this understanding so that uh, um, they'd they, they be in a position to try to convince an electorate that if they're angry and you want to take off your mask, that has consequences that we have researched and the consequences you don't want because it could make it worse later. And so that's, that's what I got to say. All right, man. I'm going to calm down. No, that's very passionate. I really enjoyed your, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, I, I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? All right. It's very cool. All right, let's move on. Now, I don't want to waste any more time with um, me looking. So let's go with in my thirties. Oh, sorry. So this is Amanda and Amanda and uh, Amanda Watson wants to know this. I'm in my 30s. Do you think we will colonize Mars uh, uh, or the moon in my lifetime? Okay. And then Amanda Phillips says, what are some of the space-related activities that can be done with preschool students via long-distance learning? So, Wow. Okay. So, uh, so there's two I'm different Amandas. Doubling up on you. These are two different Amandas. Two different Amandas. Okay. Uh, so... I. <laughs> 
So again, that one was, the first one was what? Uh, Colonizing the moon and Mars. She's in her 30s in her lifetime. Yeah. So let's say she'll live, let's say she'll live to 130. Okay, back in the day, like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, uh, people imagined we would never get to the moon because of how hard the task was or how, what challenges it would uh, bring upon us. And then we got to the moon and then people's attitude towards such achievements shifted. It actually did 180. And people said, oh, we went to the moon, now let's go to Mars, right? No longer were there people saying what was or was not possible because we did the impossible. So I will now tell you, I think not in your lifetime will we colonize either the moon or Mars because, not because we don't know how to do it, not because we couldn't figure out how to do it, but because I don't see the motivation to be there. Yeah, you can want to do it, but at some point, somebody's got to write the check. Somebody's got to sign the check. And what is their motivation to do it? Is it just, oh, let's just do it? No, there's going to be, you know, what drives it? Power drives it. Military dominance drives it. Economics, the prospect of making money drives it. The great drivers in the history of civilization. And so great as in the, 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 the most powerful drivers. I'm not value judging it. I'm just stating it. So... Uh, if we colonize Mars, it would be because there was a geopolitical reason to do so. And then eventually, yeah, maybe you can make a buck off of it. You send tourists there, this sort of thing. You'd have a lottery ticket. And you can imagine scenarios where you can start making money on this. But I've said many times, there are other ways to make money in space. Go mine an asteroid for its natural resources. And the first trillionaire ever will be the first person who exploits the natural resources of asteroids. So it's not like space couldn't be an excellent frontier, but to colonize, you want to actually go to the moon and live there? You want to go to Mars and live there? Do you know that Antarctica is warmer and wetter than any place on Mars? Yet I don't see people lining up to go buy condos in Antarctica. So you have to just factor all this in. I can, I can imagine an outpost that you go and vacation there for a week. I can say, oh, I was on the moon for a week. That'd be, but to live there and that'd be your only place? I don't see that. I don't feel that happening. So maybe tourist trips to the moon in your lifetime. And so there you go. It, there, there'll be no, no colony, but there will be Airbnb. Airbnb. <laughs> so there we go. And, and, and maybe even restaurants, but they probably have no atmosphere, I think. Oh, 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 Had to throw that one in, Chuck. Oh, you did it to me, man. You did it to me. <laughs> okay, now also right. for... Do you have a space, do you have a space-related activity that could be done with a preschool? Yeah, so it's not about going into space, but at least about thinking about what's happening over your head with preschoolers. Get them to notice the moon and, what, and have Ooh, them draw the phase of the moon tonight, okay? And then tomorrow... Have them draw the moon again. And then the next day, have them draw the moon again. And they will see the shape of the moon is changing. It right. changes. And by the right. way, if you go back at the same time to draw the moon, it's not in the same place. It's in a different part of the sky. Oh, my gosh. It moved. Oh, and so then you learn the moon orbits the earth. It and, the, and, and you can do experiments in a classroom. You turn out the lights, close the blinds, and get a flashlight. And you get an orb. And have kids all observe the orb when the flashlight is illuminated from the side. It's going to be a half-lit orb. It's like a half moon. And then as you change your angle, you can see the crescent. You can see the full if the light is from the other side. And so you can start thinking about the machinery of the solar system in that way. And wow. the moon makes a great target for this because it's a nice long project. It takes a full month, and kids can think about it. And then you do the experiment in the, in the classroom. That works at, uh, for preschool right on up. So when do you tell them that the moon is made of cheese? When, when, you when save you that, that for, for the very end. <laughs> <laughs> good answer, man. That, that's a damn good, good answer. <laughs> All right. Um, this is Amy uh, Monahan from uh, Deland. Uh, Dalen, she says, um, for beginning stargazers, what do you recommend to start? So I'm a young Neil deGrasse Tyson. What do I need to get into stargazing? Okay, first, uh, a pair of good binoculars, which is not all that expensive. I haven't okay. checked lately, but I think you can get a pair between $50 and $100. And if that feels like a lot of money, consider that you buy it once in your life. 
And so just amortize that over, over. between when you buy it and when you die and ask what right. does that cost per year relative to right. other things you consume daily. So that's how you need to think about that purchase. I still have binoculars today that I used 40 years ago because I'm that old, right? So it's a... It's or, an, or the binoculars are that good. <laughs> but yeah, both, both. And so with a good pair of binoculars, what's good about it is they're good at night. You can see the moon and the craters and the phases. You can, um, uh, if, if depending on how good they are, the upper end of that, you can see the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter. You can see that Venus goes through phases like the moon does. This freaked out Galileo. It didn't freak him out. He says, wait, that means Venus is going around the sun, not just around the Earth for it to go around the sun to go through phases. So that meant something else was going on than what everyone was teaching you in the day. So, and binoculars are great for sporting events and for bird watching and the rest of that. So start with binoculars. And uh, plus they're easy to sort of hand off to other people. Hey, take a look at this. What do you think of that? And so start there. And then uh, there are stargazing books that can help you identify, oh, sorry, books. We have apps now. In my day, we had to remember what the constellations look like. Now we have apps where you hold up your smartphone to the sky, and it knows which direction you're pointing and what's behind it, and it shows you the object, and you can tap on what everything is. So uh, almost all the sky-gazing apps do that. Mm. And because they have your coordinate, they know where you are at all times. So, By the way, you can even point it into the ground, and it tells you about the sky that you can't see that hasn't risen yet. Um, and so it's really good. And that way you can sort of work your way in to these, uh, to what the sky, what your relationship can be with the night sky. And as always, visit your local planetarium. Right, of course. I slipped that in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you had to do that. You could pay to say that. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome back to Star Talk. We're in the middle of a live Cosmic Queries with Pocket Lab. So let's jump right back in. 
All right, let's uh, let's do Anna Victoria um, um, and Anna Victoria Perez Leon wants to know this: <clears throat> How do we need to modify our approach to learning now that students have so much more information yet less guidance? So I love this question. And, I, I, you know, I'm going to expand this question from uh, Anna Victoria just a little bit wider. We live in an age of information now. Information is everywhere, period. Not just for children, but for everybody. How are you able to process this information in such a way that you're able to separate the wheat from the chaff? Okay. Uh, that needs to be a new part of the educational curriculum, which is assessing the reliability of your sources and your references. That was less necessary long ago. There was still some garbage out there, some, the chaff, I get, we, yeah, the chaff is the bad stuff you don't want. Yeah. There was still some chaff out there, but if you read a book, it had to, it went through a manuscript phase that got read by an editor, then a publisher invests in it, and then, so there are multiple filters that, boosted the chance that what ended up in book form had some integrity to it, some academic authority and integrity to it. The pedigree of the author would factor into this. Today, since anybody can post anything on the internet at any time, anywhere, you don't have that built-in filter to the system. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that the wheat has increased. Yes, it surely has. But what has definitely increased is the chaff. Yeah, And I once tweeted, just if you Google Earth and you see pictures of round Earth, I said, the Google Flat Earth, and there are pictures of a flat Earth. There's a whole wiki page on the flat Earth. Google Donut Earth. There's a Donut Earth. <laughs> okay? Sounds, sounds delicious. I want to live on Donut Earth. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the, the fact that you can type these into a Google search, and each one of them gives you an entire wiki page describing that belief system, and if you don't otherwise know, if you're just an alien who landed here, well, you would know Earth was round, plus you had the technology to figure that out. So not including aliens. <laughs> Talk about if you're just born into this, if you, if you were in a, in a closet and you just came out and you're trying to understand the world, you would not know which of these to select. So again, I got to put the burden back on school teachers. Somewhere in there, you need to teach students how to prioritize the sources of their information and the likelihood that something is true or is simply fulfilling a, a political, cultural, social, religious agenda in ways that then will mask what is otherwise objectively true about the world. Mm. And no, you, there's no guarantees here, but you can boost the chances that what it is you see, think, and do are connected to an objective reality. And, and, and I, as I've said many times, a search engine is the ideal way to confirm any belief you have, <laughs> no <laughs> matter what that belief is, all right? right? So if you want to say, you know, say, come up with anything, you type it in, it goes through the world and it finds any other people who think the same way as you do. And then you get this false sense that your thoughts are legitimate because somebody else thinks it. Not and, 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 and this, so that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think you have to address it in the schools. It should wow. be part of the curriculum. Squeeze it in. Push something oh. else out. I don't care how you do it. But it could be the, un, the unraveling of civilization. If people just say, oh, I don't want to vaccine my kids because look, and they type something in and out comes some gibberish about what vaccine, people think what vaccines do to you other than prevent you from getting a virus. So you're getting fed information that is not authentic, nor in your best interest, but you think it is, and that's the problem. Cool, that's good stuff. I, yeah. I got to tell you, I'm I'm still stuck on thinking about really stupid aliens that land here and think the Earth is flat. <laughs> they have I'm to come you, from right. space, and then yeah. They'd have to actually see it, and they it could be a hologram. I don't know. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Wouldn't that be cool um, if aliens spoke like that? Yeah. Hey, what are you talking hey, about? Hey, Louie, how you hey. been? It could be. 
hey, what, what planet is this? <laughs> hey, we took the wrong turn at exactly. Alpha Centauri. Hey. <laughs> oh, God. There we go. Those are aliens from Brooklyn. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Only in New York would we come up with Brooklyn aliens. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is Anne LeBlanc, or LeBlanc, from... Um, Anne is from Dartmouth. Ooh, Dartmouth, New Hampshire, sure. Uh, unless me. there's a Dartmouth, UK, I don't know. Well, yeah, but you know, right. we were so, not very creative when we came to the New, in- New England. No, everything, they, they named it after everything else that they came from. New England, right? right. New Canaan, new this, new that, new, you know, New well, this York. Used be, this used to be New Amsterdam. And yeah, then yeah, before it was, yeah. Just can't uh, you think up another name, old explorer people? <laughs> very disappointed. <laughs> Uh, Plus, how new uh, is New York? We, it's you know what we should call us York, and the other one Old York. Old York. That's how we should right. have it. Right there, you go. Um, this is what Anne wants to know: How do we explain the magnitude of space to a child sitting in front of a computer? Wow, that's a that's wow. Ooh, okay. So there's some fun YouTube videos that do zoom outs from starting on Earth and going to the edge of the universe and then coming back. And in fact, the American Museum of Natural History, which is my day job, um, uh, we produced something called the Known Universe. It's got like a zillion views on YouTube. And give it to them and give it in full screen. And if you do one of those things where you can put it on a flat panel screen on the wall so it becomes almost cinematic rather than Mm -hmm. just looking at a small screen, that is a zoom, unnarrated, just visual trip from Earth to the edge of the universe and back, and, and you get a sense of the immensity of it all as Earth shrinks to this dot, yeah. as, as, as the solar system shrinks to a dot, right. as our entire stellar neighborhood, as our galaxy containing 100 billion, billion stars, stars shrinks to a dot in the distance. Wow. And so then that, that'll put them in. That'll that'll set them straight right there. Yeah, there you go. That's a cool thing. We did a uh, on the TV show. We did a bit. Um, where we started, it was like one of those powers of tens videos where we started at the edge of the universe and we kept zooming in until we saw Neil deGrasse Tyson laying on a lawn and then we zoomed into his mustache and there was a whole nother universe. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That was... <laughs> Pretty funny. All right, here we go. See, the, the, the jig is up. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, what else you got? Let's go. Let's go. What's the most important? This is from Clifton uh, Roosboom mm-hmm. from Mountain View. Not, uh, uh, Mountain says, View, the, the headquarters of Apple Computer, I think, is Mountain View, California. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think so. Yeah. Okay. And other, other high-tech giants. But go on. Okay. So he says... By the way, you know how I know that? When you no. start a new Apple Computer... It's a Mountain View time zone that it's built. It starts with. Oh, really? Is that it? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very, <laughs> very narcissistic of them. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Uh, Clifton says this. What is the most important astrophysics concept for everyone to know? Oh wow. yeah, no, that, I got this. Got this. Okay. 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 It is. Um, you need to know the immensity of space which you would get in one of these Zoom videos. I mean, zoom out, not, not, the, the, not right. the chat. Not, not, not the, what we're doing right not now. What we're doing. Um, yeah, exactly. The immensity of space and the immensity of time. And I think those two are some of the hardest to grasp. Okay. And people don't really comprehend a million years, a billion years. Right. They can't wrap their head around it. And so for me, those it's not understand a black hole. Those are just objects that you can explain and learn. I'm talking about concepts. And once you get those concepts and you embed these objects in those concepts, then you have a true cosmic perspective of who and what we are here on Earth. There are people who are in denial of evolution because they say, how can a single cell become a a human being with a brain and everything? Because they don't understand how much time has elapsed. They can't Mm -hmm. comprehend that. They're thinking, well, I don't see it happen. Because it's happening longer than your lifetime, longer than a hundred of your lifetimes. And so you, you, at the geologic, how do rivers cut mountains and glaciers cut? That takes time. And if you sped things up, 
to a time scale that's longer than human life. You'll get to see things happen. Volcanoes would come up and down. They'd repave. They'd, you get an earthquake. They get subduction of the of the of the continent. All of this would be going on like it's a daily thing. It just takes way longer than your lifetime to see it, know it, and embrace it. They used to call it deep time, and yes, time is older than the history of human civilization. And that's a concept that needs to come across. Wow. Well, I don't know why. Uh, I'm depressed now. But <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Actually, there was no, a, there's an award-winning short film, and forgive, I think it's called The Wheel. Uh, it's a German film. Very short. It's like six minutes or eight oh, minutes. Cool. I think it's called The Wheel. But I, to me, I just call it The Rock. You know, rocks. Rocks. And what it is, it's a conversation between two rocks. Oh, cool. Okay. And um, <laughs> things are happening in the background. You say, what is that? What is that? What is that? Um, you know, the sky is like pulsing in light. And then you realize those are days going by. <laughs> right. That's funny. <laughs> so this is like the world as seen by rocks. And one rock says, oh, do you, do you have a problem with lichens? They, I, I got itchy on the back of my neck here. And it takes a long time for lichens to start eating away at rocks. But to them, it's like a, it's their lifespan. And they're spending their whole time and they see trees come up and down and volcanoes and all of this. And then civilization shows up. And then a road goes by. And it gets built like instantly in their reference frame. And then all the civilization goes away. <laughs> And they're still there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So that's cool. you know, civilization—the time of civilization relative to rocks—is very, very short. short. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, so fine. <laughs> I think it's on YouTube somewhere. The wheel. All right. I think it's cool. Let's. It's uh, a wheel because one, the, they find a wheel and they wonder about it. Um, that the cavemen had just invented a wheel, right? And they're admiring it, but then it just sort of dissolves in their hands because time moves quickly for them. But um, anyhow, check it out. That's a, a sense of trying to get a grasp on timescales and what effect that would have when you finally uh, uh, appreciate it and recognize what role it plays in trying to understand who and what we are in this world. Excellent. All right, let's move on to Dawn Ritz. And Dawn Ritz is from San Diego, California, and she says, uh, what would be a place in space that you would take a science class and why? Ooh, I love that. That's a great <clears throat> question. I love that. So what's your space field trip for the class? Oh, oh okay. Is it, does it have to be a real trip or a trip that I'm imagining? Let me, here's what I imagine. Uh, I would take a trip and we would go and ride alongside a comet. Mm. And you'd start wow. from the outer solar system. And it's just be this frozen ball. And as we get near the sun, the heat from the sun uh, evaporates the, 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 the frozen ice, the, the ice, in fact, the, the correct word there is it sublimates because it'll go straight from ice to gas. You'll see the tail grow. As you come closer into the sun, the inner planets begin to reveal themselves. You'll see um, Jupiter and then this asteroid belt and then Earth, uh, Mars and then Earth and Venus and, and, and Mercury. And then you zoom around the backside of the sun and you come out the other side. So you get a tour of the solar system. You learn about comets. You get to see all the planets. And that would be my field trip. Wow. Except they, they take, um, to get a full trip there, it takes, uh, depending on which comet you ride, would take a few decades. So the your kids will be really old by the time it's done, but they, they, it'll be, it would have been a trip of a lifetime. It was worth it. It was worth it. it. it, was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you just put them in orbit. Have them take a few orbits around the Earth. Okay. Um, and you see Earth from above, and you see like lightning storms and aurora, and you'll see 18 sunrises in one 24-hour period, um, because that's how quickly an orbit takes you around. So that would be, you get the overview effect, which they astronauts get, where you see the Earth not as the color-coded ball, uh, color-coded globe in your social studies class. You see it with no boundaries at all. Cool. It's oceans and land and clouds, and, and that changes you. And it's called the overview effect, it's a, which is a version of the cosmic perspective, which we all need if we don't otherwise have it. There you go. All right, let's go to Emily Gonsalves. From? From Moose Creek. And she wants to Where, know Where's Moose Creek? How would I know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. 
Uh, I'm sitting here in Hoboken. <laughs> Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> the, uh, a lot of yeah. creeks in, in Michigan. Uh, maybe yeah. it's in Michigan. I don't know. Okay, go on. So, um, and it's, and it's got to be a place that has moose, right? So you got to be like north. Wow, that got to be, yeah, uh, exactly. Could be Alaska. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, but go on. Okay, so she says, um, she says, how should I be tying my love of all things space into my English class? Ooh, I love a little it. cross, a little cross disciplinary Ooh, love going I love on there. It. Nice. Uh, cross pollination, yes. yes. Uh, so, hmm, okay. <laughs> uh, there's some literature that actually makes interesting mention of space. Uh, so, for example, in uh, Kirk Vonnegut's novel Slaughterhouse Five, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, it involves uh, cleanup efforts in Dresden after the bombing of Dresden in the Second World War. Okay, fine. But the rest of the book folded into that is the encounter that the protagonist has with space aliens. And he has access to the fourth dimension in doing so, where oh. he sees his entire life all at once. Right. He's always being born. He's always dying. Right. He's always living it out in between. The alien, he's Dr. Manhattan. For example, and from, from Watchmen. And Watchmen. so he, uh, so the aliens give him this perspective. But the cost of that is they put him in a, in a zoo for the other aliens to see the earth creature that's there. But, but because he's not bound in time, right. It doesn't matter that he's in this zoo cage because he can just go to anywhere else in his life. Yeah, I'm good to. I'm good lived. to be in the cage. So, so there's stories such as this. You can read War of the Worlds, which uh, involves invading space zones. This is classic literature written, of course, by H.G. Wells. Um, you can read Time Machine, once again, by H.G. Wells. It's literature. You know, does all literature have to be Faulkner and, and Hemingway? No. There's other literature written by great writers who, and forgive me, I know only primarily the English um, writer, uh, uh, English language writers. There's surely others in other languages. I'm just saying there, you can tap these stories and then analyze them for their, create, their scientific creativity. And those writers are brilliant. Uh, uh, they have brilliant command of the English language. So you can definitely fold these lessons in. So, so that's what I'd recommend. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to get as many in here. I mean, first of all, we got to stop. Uh, asking teachers for questions because, first of all, teachers have great questions. Secondly, you can't, it's so difficult to choose which question mm -hmm. you should ask mm -hmm. because, like, they really are thoughtful in the way that they, they're, they're on, they're it. on it. Thank man. you guys for being on it. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hey, we'd like to give a Patreon shout out to the following Patreon patrons, Gary Wright and Adrian Hernandez. Hey, guys, thanks so much for the gravity assist as we make our way across the cosmos. You know, we couldn't do it without you. And if you're listening and would like your very own Patreon shout out, go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us.
We're back on Star Talk, and we're in the middle of a live Cosmic Queries with Pocket Lab. And for this next and final segment, we're bringing on Dave Baker, one of the founders of Pocket Lab, to bring questions directly from that live audience. I see Dave. Dave's popped in, so I guess we're done. <laughs> we're going to wrap up and we're going to do more Q&A. And okay. You guys are right. All the teachers on, we got thousands of questions, literally. <laughs> we sent them to, to the Talk team and it's a stack of paper. I appreciate everybody's perseverance. If you got your question answered, you're lucky. Yeah. Dave, let me just say this to all the teachers. Many of you think very much alike. If I didn't ask your question, uh, I didn't pick one person's question over another. It's just that for every question I read, there were maybe 25 other teachers who asked a version or similar version of the same question. So thank you guys. Mm-hmm. All right, so Dave, you got some questions. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Just a couple of things. I love Kurt Vonnegut. That was one of my favorite novels. I think it was Billy Pilgrim was the protagonist. Yeah, Billy Pilgrim. That was the name of yeah, the yeah. protagonist in Slaughterhouse Five. Yes, Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, that's my favorite. The other thing I wanted to mention: you were talking before about being able to discern truth from fiction. Um, my eldest daughter went to UW. Oh, but to, by the way, just uh, not to be nitpicky, but. Uh, I do not hold the word fiction as an opposite word to the word truth. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I, if there's something true and it's otherwise false. Fiction is a different thing. Okay. It's a different, we're communicating ideas and stories. And you're not, while you're reading these stories saying, that's not true. That's not true. That's false. No. You're saying there are lessons here to be gleaned, even though the character does not exist even though this, the, the storyline has never occurred. Hmm. So they say fact or fiction. I want to reserve the word fiction for its own genre rather than thinking yeah. of it as the opposite of what is fact. Well, you'll be glad to know. So it's oh, By the way, did. I feel the same way about the word myth. So mm-hmm. is, is it true or is it myth? myth yeah. You know, myths are stories. They're like, as I described for the word fiction, they're stories of great tales that have deep insights, that offer deep insights into our lives. I don't want to think of myth as something that's just not true. It doesn't matter that a myth is not true if it otherwise has great value to us. So just use the word false. Is it true or is it false? Rather than is it true or is it myth? Okay, so that's my that's my two cents in there. That's great, that's interesting. Well, myths, myths are important, right? Um, yeah, you know, um, at U, my eldest daughter went to UW. They actually have a class. UW, University of Washington, yes. Yes, University of Washington, go Huskies. And uh, it, the, the class is called Calling BS in the Age of Big Data. And nice. So we need that in elementary school. Yes, yes. And then you call it call, uh, Calling Bologna Sandwich in the Age of Big Data. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you 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 do need that. How do you spot the bologna sandwiches? Yes, that's right. So I got a couple of questions for you. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking about, you know, teachers, we're all of us, teachers especially, are being forced to learn a new skill, and that's you know, video conferencing. We we work on video conference. We organize. We teach. We communicate. We meet new people, and it's been a struggle, right? And I think there's been a lot of stress. But is, is there maybe a silver lining? Is this like a tool that we're going to have in our toolbox that years from now we're going to look back and say, remember that the, the COVID pandemic, good thing we learned video conferences. It turns out it's really useful. Um, yes. Okay, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I, let me offer some reflections on this. First, yes, the silver lining of all this Zoom calling and 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 otherwise video chatting, is, and I'm going to answer this from the point of view of an astrophysicist, okay? What it has done is, I don't know if, you, if you've ever thought about this, but anytime you've ever met someone for lunch or for dinner or to, you, you, you would say, okay, I'll meet you at 10 o'clock. Well, that's insufficient information to actually meet them because you have to then give a location, mm-hmm. Built into our lives and our social uh, uh, discourse is communicating a time and a place. This is the space-time coordinate system that Einstein tells us about. We live in space and we live in time. And you will only meet that person if you are in the same place at the same time. That's why you can't give just one of those and have it be a successful meeting. 
I can't tell you, oh, I'll meet you at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 45th Street. When? Okay. Oh, again, I'll meet you at 2 p.m. Where? All right. What, what video conferencing made for the masses has done, it, it has separated those two coordinates. So now the where doesn't matter because the where is now distributed into everyone's computer. And all that matters is the when. Mm -hmm. And as a result, in this coronavirus lockdown, I have attended more science seminars than I ever did in the last five years. Because I can't always be in the department when the, my colleague is speaking, because I'm on tour, I'm in this, I'm that. And I can't, but now, it's, it's a 45-minute thing. I've got time on my, let me dial in. And so, so the Zooming, as distant as we are from each other, in fact, the silver lining is that we've never been closer mm. simply because we can communicate in ways that we care about, with body language, with gestures, with, oh, where's that? Oh, show me what you got in the kitchen. Or you carry around the device. So we are, by being more distant from each other, there's a part of it that actually makes us closer together. And if we carry that forward out of the coronaverse, uh, it, it's definitely another key tool that I think teachers can use and invoke to deliver content and instruction and, and whatever else is necessary to get the job done. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, the, the, it's great. You know, a great example, uh, Chuck and I never met in person, but you know, we were working on this project. We, we know a lot about each other and, and we made a ton of progress. We, we didn't have to meet. I would love to go out and have a drink with Chuck, but you know, we, we just can't right now. And you know, it's, it's okay. It's not great, but it's fine. Right. It's working. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, Dave. I have a I have a mask with a hole in it and straws. Do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. If we could both get permission from our right. House. <laughs> so check, check this is great. You know another another thing I'd love to have your thoughts on. We have thousands of science teachers here, and you know with this in the last conference, we're going to do a ton of these. We have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of science teachers. Have you ever thought, is there like, if, if you could have a goal, if we could all organize and get together and have a single mind as science educators and set like a five-year or a 10-year goal to really change education and change the next generation of, of young students, what, like, what would be like the top couple things that would be worth focusing on? This brings us, that's a great question. And it brings us full circle back to the, was it the very first question that Chuck pulled up? which is, um, I think it's too short-sighted to say, here's what we should do, and here's what you should know. Because that could change. That might need modification. That might need to be uh, adjusted based on culture, politics, wh whatever are the forces operating, uh, budget, whatever the forces operating at the time. But if you um, instilled successfully instilled a sense of curiosity. Curiosity aiming to find out what is objectively true. That is something you carry for your lifetime. That's something you carry into every room you step, into every conversation you have, no matter how powerful the person is with whom you have that conversation. Being curious about what is objectively true enables you to navigate a path of inquiry to arrive at that tr truth. And almost anybody enjoys that journey. You know, I think people, if you can say, well, let's think about it this way. Oh, I never thought about that. Well, if that's true, then this could be true. Let's check that. And you just navigate this together and then you arrive at sensible, wise conclusions together. So this is a tool that students need to have. So, so as teachers, especially as science teachers, except there was one English teacher out there who asked about the novel, <laughs> uh, totally welcome you there. Um, but especially as science teachers, the, who are the keepers of the 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 of, of of the search for what is objectively true in the natural world, that those tactics are what matters here. 
Okay, and let's go to the 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 the, the social sciences and the and the liberal arts, where you do a research on a, on a on a research topic on, on a on a paper, right? You write a paper. I guess they still do that in high school, maybe not in elementary school. But there's a topic you don't know much about. How are you going to research it? What are your sources? How are you going to trust those sources? What conclusions will you draw based on this? This is all analysis, and not enough in the school system is about analysis. It's all about knowledge, like you're some kind of empty vessel, fill it with knowledge, and now you're done. Let's process you and send you on your way. I'd rather you started out as an empty vessel and ended as an empty vessel, except you had a toolkit around you to feed that vessel with whatever you encounter later on and, and know how to establish what is objectively true in what it is you have investigated. Once you've done that, you won't have any of this. You don't. That, you you won't have flat earthers. You won't have vaccine deniers. You won't have climate deniers because they would have understood what the path is to find out what is objectively true, and the, and they will know the risk of their bias, cultural, right. political, social bias influencing what it is they're thinking, and to be scientifically literate is to have this fluency in inquiry knowing how to ask questions, and knowing when you have arrived at an answer that has sufficient data to support your conclusions. So I've always said to be scientifically literate is to be inoculated against charlatans who are out there, against people who think they know what they're talking about, but in fact don't. Mm -hmm. Because the biggest challenge we have, just as a species, as individuals, is, is thinking I've said this before, thinking you know enough about something to, to to knowing enough about something to think you're right, but not enough about that same thing to know that you're wrong. Hmm. There's this there's this valley in there, and there are a lot of people that are sitting in that valley who don't know enough to know that they're wrong, but know just enough to think that they're right. And if those people ever rise to power, and if they do, and when they do, it's dangerous. It, like I said, it's Too late. unraveling. It's too late. <laughs> too late, Neil. You're too late. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Yeah. So that, this, these are my these are my words of wisdom in whatever way they can land um, among among the teachers out there. I think that's faint. I think that's a goal. I think that's something to think about. Is you remind me, I had, I had a, a great mentor in my life who always told me you have to invest in yourself in your education because no matter what happens in your life, nobody can take that from you. And you know, yes, that's correct. That's right. It's it's it becomes part of who you are and what you bring to every next encounter and challenge that life delivers. And I want to, if I can, and I know we got we're running long. I want to <laughs> end with one sort of something about which I feel strongly. Okay, every teacher tuned in right now was once a student. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were all students at some level of the educational pipeline. As a student, we all had some great teachers and we had some crappy teachers, okay? And we remember them for being great and we remember them for being crappy, okay? And those teachers who were great, they, you just enjoyed being in their classroom. They had an enthusiasm, an expertise, a a, uh, a a a a command of the content where you just wanted to bask in their brilliance. And it wouldn't matter what the subject was. You can have a favorite subject over here, but they're a great teacher in this other subject. They make that your favorite subject that semester. You know you had those teachers. And by the way, how many of those teachers did you have? I've done I've done the, this exercise. Okay. I've been in a room with thousands of people. I say, how many truly great teachers have you had in your life? Mm -hmm. Most people, it's like it fits on one hand. Maybe three, five at tops. Most people, it's two. Mm -hmm. two, two, And some of them, it's just one. And I say to myself, this is out of scores of teachers, in some cases hundreds, if you went through college and graduate school. There's only Mm -hmm. this many? Well, those are the super teachers. So here's my challenge to every teacher tuned in right now. Be that super teacher, super teacher yeah. that you know you had as a student. Be that teacher. 
And if you do, if you become that teacher, and you might already be that teacher. Don't I don't want you know? <laughs> I don't want to call out stuff that doesn't need to be called out. But we know as students, as having been students, who these great teachers are. Become those super teachers. And if you do, you will transform the school system overnight. I, you know, it's great. And, you know, I tell you something about the audience who comes to these. I think a lot of them are those super teachers, but that's why they're here. This is the summer. You know, you're supposed to be on vacation. What do you do? You're going to spend all day uh, listening to us. That's because right. I mean, it means you're committed. You're committed. You're committed. So yes. it's fantastic. I, mm-hmm. Neil, the, the, those are great words to end with. Chuck, thank you so much. You, you guys were fantastic. Um, the, the chat is going by. They're going crazy. Great job. Really appreciate it. Well, that about does it. Thanks for tuning in to this special edition of Star Talk Cosmic Queries in collaboration with Pocket Lab. I want to thank all the Pocket Lab folks uh, for organizing this. As always, until next time, I bid you to keep looking up. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.